Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Heath, if you don't know me. Uh, lead pastor here at Reach. Um, and we're today... I'm going to be in Matthew 27 here in just a little bit, starting in verse 32. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up there. We'll be there in just a few. Uh, But I have a question for you to start off. Is how much does God love you? Does anyone else struggle with that reality? Uh, if I can just be 100% honest, and this is my job and has been my job for 21 years, not all here, did youth ministry before we moved here. Um, I struggle with the reality that sometimes God loves me and likes me. And that struggle is not based in the reality of what I know intellectually or theologically. It's just in my own understanding of what God thinks of me because of what I think of me. Anybody else? So I I don't want to necessarily, I'd love to settle that for you today. But uh, I think the word and what we're going to be in today is going to settle that. uh, Or at least demonstrate that we can trust in the one that is proclaiming these things over us. See, love is not just words for those that um, just passed Valentine's Day. (laughs) I would raise your hand if you succeeded, but I don't want you to uh, embarrass those that didn't succeed in loving, honoring, cherishing each other on this day that, you know, that's what we do, which I think is funny. I think it gives people an out to be like, well, if I do well one day of the year, I'm doing good. Um, But the truth is, love is not words alone. Honestly, we're love that doesn't follow up with actions or just words. And if you've been married longer than a minute, you realize that they can say the right words. But if their actions don't communicate the truth of that reality, the words don't matter. Like I can tell my wife that I love her every day. I can text her and send her emails and um, telegrams and faxes and all of these things. I can, I can use it in any medium that I want, but if my life and my actions don't reflect that reality, she's just going to be like, eh, you know, that's great. I'm glad you can use those words, but I'd love to see those words in action. The life of Jesus is God's love letter to you and me. The whole Bible, from beginning to end, he has been in hot pursuit of us, making a way for us to know him, to love him, and to be connected to him again. He didn't go halfway in showing his love for us when he walked on this world, and he isn't going to go halfway in showing his love for us now. The question today is, will you listen and believe? And this is something that you'll have to practice. So today won't solve the the equation. Does God love me? I am going to try to do my best to show you that he does by what he did for us, specifically on the cross. 
But this is something we got to relive. Like I could do one action for my wife to show her I love her. But if I don't continue showing her that I love her, it didn't. I have to be reminded. And that's partly what we're doing with communion today. Communion is a reminder of what God has done for us once and for all. And this is critical to living a life of the fullness that God intended for us. Imagine waking up tomorrow with no doubt that you are God's beloved. And that has nothing to do with your behavior or what you gave in our lovely toolbox in the back or how hard you served today at a church, but you were just loved. I mean, how, how would change? How would that let just think about this in your own relationship? How would that change the way you interact with the other person? If you just knew that you didn't have to question it, you didn't have to go like, do they love me? Uh, you just knew you woke up in the morning, you knew it would change every way that you interact with them. So my question is, who, who would love to live in that place? You don't have to answer that. Um, I'll answer it for you. I do. I want to be reminded every day that he chose me, that he called me, that he's has more redemption and grace for me than I will ever extend to myself. Let's pray. Father, there is wrestling going on in this room. Mentally, emotionally, because some of us in here are going, God, you haven't shown me love because you didn't do this and you didn't do that. and You weren't here for me then. You weren't here for me then. Lord, we need the resurrection of hope. Lord, we need to see your redemptive work for us. We need to see your love for us in the cross. But Lord, more than hearing it, we need to feel it today. And I don't mean in an emotional way, but we need to know that you love us. And I believe that is communicated to us and felt in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit in this moment, in this 30 minutes, that you would transform the broken things inside of us and start moving them to a place of help, of knowing that you love us. So open our ears to hear. Lord, I bind the enemy that would love to whisper lies in your ears. As I communicate truth, the liar would love to say, that's not true. That's not true. He won't, he won't follow through. He won't do this. Lord, give us a measure of faith this morning as we look at at your ultimate sacrifice on the cross. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've been reading along in the one-year Bible, which there are more, like I said, I will continue to get one-year Bibles. Like, I will break our budget to make sure that if you want one, you can have one. I think there's 13 out there. So if you didn't get one last week, they're out there. Um, if you have no idea what a one-year Bible is, it's just um, a book that has separated the Bible into an Old Testament section, a New Testament section, a Psalm and Proverb. And if you read that whole book each day, you will read the entire Bible um, within a year. Uh, the beauty of what's going on, I think this was Monday's reading for you on uh, Matthew 27, is that we're also in Leviticus. And some of you are like, oh, Leviticus. 
Leviticus. Leviticus is a foreshadowing of the depths that God would go to make a people right. And and, and Leviticus and everything that it presents in there was a foreshadow of what God was going to complete on the cross. They were practices that would never do in completion what God intended them to do. And we're going to look at that through Hebrews as we uh, look at Matthew 27. But we have to understand the links that God would do for us to be a holy, called out people set free. And so if you've been reading along in Matthew, you've seen it all. And the beauty of the next you know, month and a half is you'll get to go through all the four Gospels. And you'll get to see the story over and over again of this redemptive story from different perspectives looking in and. And what we've seen leading up to 27, we've seen a betrayal. We've seen Judas um, sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. We've seen him feel guilty and remorse about it, throw his money back into um, the to the Pharisees and say, I've wronged an innocent man. And, and he wants out and he goes and hangs himself because he has no hope of a future tormented. We see Peter's denial. After Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me three times, he's like, if I have to die, I will not. And of course, he does. Let me just tell you, if Jesus tells you something, it's going to happen. You know, I don't care. I mean, if Peter couldn't overcome something in 24 hours, we won't either. Probably not 24 minutes. Probably not a second later. And then we see Pilate totally trying to set Jesus free because... Not only, you didn't see this in this gospel, but not only does his wife tormented about what's going on, have nothing to do with this innocent man. Um, he is not polluted by the reality and the jealousy that the Jewish people have because they're afraid they're going to lose their ministry. They're going to lose what they've established. And one of them, not here, said, hey, it's better for one man to die than for us to lose the place and the position and the thing that God has set us here. Pilate does everything in his power to set Jesus free. Even leading up to this, they release one of the prisoners. Um, he, he puts forward, he was like, hey, as a sign of good favor, you can release. And he wanted to release Jesus, thinking, hey, here's an opportunity. And they release somebody that's actually guilty. <laughs> Barabbas, another like story that I, I wish there was more. I wish there was the rest of his story where he saw... You know what Jesus literally did, because this is what this is what transaction happened for us on the cross. But Barabbas sees it in the flesh. Jesus takes the spot that he doesn't deserve for this man. This man gets to go free. And then they brutally, brutally abuse Jesus, mock him, punch him, spit on him, put a crown of thorns, put a robe on him, mock him, cover his eyes, hit him, saying, prophesy. And they take this thing called the cat of nine tails, which is just these leather pieces with metal and glass and other things woven into them, and they whip it across his back, and they pull it apart, and it rips literally his skin off his back. And they do that 39 times. They say it 40 times kills a person. And that's where Jesus is bloody, Bruised, probably does not look like himself at all, is stripped. 
Most likely naked. They cast dice for his clothes. I read one commentary. It was like, maybe it was a really nice garment. And most of those garments aren't like ours. It's one solid piece, so you can't take a piece of it. And so they're like, oh, it's better not to rip it. So some of them are thinking it's nice. And other people are like, hey, we can make money off this. This is Jesus' robe. Afterwards, we can sell it. All of you eBayers out there, you're like, yes. All we need to get is Michael Jordan's signature, and we can sell it. So maybe they were thinking, this is it. We're going to make money. But what's funny, they, they didn't have this in mind, but God knew this was going to happen, prophesied it hundreds of years before this, and they fell right in to it. And we pick up in verse 32. All of these things have happened, and they're, they're heading to the hill. It says, as they went out, they found a, ma- a man from Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him, the man, to carry his cross. Jesus was so battered and bruised that he could not even carry the cross to the hill. But Simon steps in to do that. And I skipped a verse uh, ahead which I'll say in a minute, so sorry, Anna, for that one. Matthew sixteen twenty four. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Simon was the first one to fall into this thing. And we don't know much about him, but this is the reality. When it says take up his cross, and we say this like, hey, no big deal. Uh, that's like take up your electric chair, take up your murder. Take, this is death. He's like, hey, if you're going to follow after me, take up your cross and follow. See, following Jesus is a sacrifice. And we, we talked about this all in January. Jesus didn't come and do all the things we're going to talk about today so that we could identify as Christian and be a part of a club and do socially good things. He did this so that we would become his disciples, that would be shaped and molded, molded into his image, and we would change our world. But we, as Americans, more than probably anyone else in the world, are sacrifice avoidant. We love comfort. I love comfort. I ain't gonna lie. I don't like pain. I know sometimes I do dumb things. It's like, you signed up for that. You paid to go do that. I know, but like, I don't, I will, for the most part, I want to be comfortable. I want things to be easy. Following Jesus typically doesn't go in that pattern. Verse 33 says, And when they came to the place of Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him a wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he, he would not drink it. He wouldn't drink it. And there's lots of commentaries. One say, you know, it was, it was like a, it basically it was like a pain reliever. It was something they would give people to reduce the suffering, but it clouded your judgment. It clouded your mind. And he would have none of that. Jesus wasn't going to lessen anything. He wasn't going to take his ability to respond and say and do exactly what he intended to do. Verse 35. It says, and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them, casting lots. One of the things prophesied in Psalms 22. 
And we, we sanitize it. Some of you may be wearing a cross around your neck right now, which <laughs> nothing wrong with that, but it's this wooden uh, implement of torture where they literally take these huge nails and drive it through your arms and feet. And it's not just the pain of that, but it literally, they, it's the, one of the worst ways to die because you slowly suffocate. Because you have to... Raise yourself up so that you can take a breath. But to raise yourself up, you have to put pressure on the nails that are going through your arms and through your feet. Just so you can take a breath. And if it ever went too long, they would break your legs so you couldn't even push up anymore. Verse 36. And they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, and the Jews didn't like this at all. It says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And it was written in multiple languages. I love that Pilate, instead of accusing Jesus as a criminal, he proclaims him as a king, which is what he was. This is literally the only thing that Jesus was guilty of. And guilty is a loose word. Don't go too crazy on that because he was the king. He is Revelation seventeen fourteen. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Verse 38, the two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right, and one on his left. And uh, the, the one in the center usually is the worst. That's like the chief of sinners. And Jesus was in that slot and they intentionally did all these things to... Show him what they thought about him. Verse 39, it says, And those passed by him derailed him. This was on a, a main road. People will walk this way going into the city, wagging their heads um, and saying, You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the son of, son of God, come down from the cross. And the chief priest with the scribes and the elders, mocked him, saying these are the ones that had spent their life dedicating themselves to the word to know when the Messiah was coming. And when the Messiah came, they crucified him. And they were standing at the base of the cross while he's hanging on the tree, saying, prove who you are. You saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. He took it. Um, I don't know how to compare this to anything that we may have experienced other than potentially having our children ridicule us and say nasty things about us, which my children are, are awesome and never do anything like that. But can you imagine your creation, which is the closest thing I can compare to us, is, is literally ridicule and mocking you as you're doing the thing to save them. As you're hanging on the cross, they're saying, then just show yourself with power. But the true power that he is doing is giving himself to the cross. If he got down, he could have. Let me just tell you, 
when he said this in another gospel, he said, I could call 40 legions of angels. I could free myself. I could literally, if we think Superman has power, like it's a joke. In the, in the beauty of Christ is there is no kryptonite. He could have been like dead, all of you. <laughs> Which I'm so glad I'm not Jesus. Let me just tell you, I'd have been like, mock me again, heart attack. Oh, I don't know what happened to him. Tripping fell down the mountain, dead. Aw. <sighs> Say it again, chief priest. He just sat there and took it. You know why he took it? You know why he didn't say anything in his defense? You know why he allowed himself to be crucified? Because it was the only way. When time was perfect, God sent his son to die the death that we deserve so that we could have lasting freedom. See, power and weakness, people rejected Jesus's authority and power because he could not get himself off the cross. They had no clue of the power that God, through Jesus, was doing by willingly staying on the cross. And I had this thought that I just want to throw out there. Where are you living out this same thought. Where are you living? God, I would believe in you. I would trust you. I would give you everything if you would just. Because that's what they're doing. They're standing there at the cross. They don't believe he's the Messiah or they wouldn't have put him on the cross. But they're saying, hey, if you get down, we'll believe. They said that earlier when they wanted um, him to give them a sign. He said, you all, the only sign that you will get is the sign of Jonah. Which is what? Thrown into the belly of well. Come back three days later. And so they're like, show us your power and we'll believe. Where do we do the same thing? Wanting something else from God when he has this perfect gift for us. Saying, God, I want this. And if you give me this, I've done this, I don't know how many times. Like, God, I will, I will, you know how many times we do that? Like, God, I will, if you do this, if you allow me to get an A on this test, if you give me this woman to marry, if you, whatever the thing is that you want, you're like, God, if you give me this, I will love you, I will serve you. And the truth is, you won't. Like, we're children, all of us. Even the oldest person in this room is a child when it comes to the things that we want. We're like, God, I will serve you and worship you if you give me this thing that I will then make into an idol and serve and worship it until it, I am bored with it and want another. Verse 45. It says, now, from the sixth hour... There was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. So for three hours, it was dark. And that was noon to basically three o'clock. So he went on the cross around 9 a.m. He spent six hours on the cross. Halfway through, darkness <laughs> happens. And we've, you know, we've, we've seen... Uh, eclipses and, and things where, you know, there's, there's been a little bit of darkness, but darkness fell on the land while Jesus was on the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Eloma, uh, Shabbat Nehe. Best I can do. I did listen to it like four times this morning. And that is that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time ever, and there's lots of commentaries on this, this first time ever, 
He feels this separation from the God the Father. He, he feels the wrath that was deserved for us. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. Elijah, or Isaiah uh, 53, starting in verse 4, has a, an image of what we're seeing right here. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. But upon him was the chastisement that bought us peace. And with his wounds, we were healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the only way. There was no other way. Jesus in the garden before he went, and I love that our Gospels show the struggle. It wasn't like just... Willy nilly, yeah, like, yeah, this is the job. This is what I was going to do. He was praying. He was asking his, his three, you know, core guys, hey, pray with me. And they would not. They would just sleep. And he would cry out to the Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours. Verse 48, and one of them, uh, at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine but uh, and put it on a reed to give it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out and again in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. John 1930, this same incident here, it says, when Jesus had rede- received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And in this moment, some crazy things happen. Realize it's still dark. There's still darkness. Verse 51, it says, And behold, the curtain, which is not near, in the temple, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split For those reading the one year Bible, we just spent a lot of time looking through the, the, uh, the, all the, all the pieces of the tabernacle. This is the temple. The, the tabernacle we've been reading on was the, was the tent version of it. This is, this is the temple. The, the, it was huge. They're literally one of the commentaries. They, they don't know for sure because they believe that the ceiling was heightened, but potentially 60 feet high and four inches thick. Like that isn't in biblical text, but there was early manuscripts that talked about the temple up to four inches thick. So this wasn't like some man, they've been carrying this around since the time of Moses and it's threadbare and it just like a breeze came and it fell apart. And behind that curtain, if you're unfamiliar with it, that's where the presence of God would rest. And only one man could go in there one time a year to offer sacrifice for the people. No one else was allowed to enter into the presence of God. No one. 
And that whole temple system was setting up something that never worked fully. And Jesus was going to set it officially done. There will be no more sacrifices needed to enter into the presence of God because Jesus was going to become the once and for all. And 40 years after this, the temple that was their treasured possession would be gone. 70 AD, gone. Since then, there has been no, I mean, literally no other temple sacrifice because there's been no temple. We jump into Hebrews 9 to see the implications of what happened in this curtain tearing and what fully happened on the cross. Verse 8 says, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifice were offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as the high priest for the good <clears throat> high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, talking about the temple, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of blood. Of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews also says that don't be deceived that there will be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. That's why they did sacrifices. There has to be a blood. But if you read through Hebrews, the blood sacrifice was never enough. It always had to be repeated and it always had to be done even for the leaders of the temple. The high priest still had to make sacrifices for sin ongoing because, shocker, we live in a world filled with sin, even those that were called to be pure and holy. See, this was the work of God from top to bottom. This was the beginning of the new covenant set in place by Jesus through his blood. This was the end of the sacrifice that would never need to be made again. That would only partially work for a short period of time. This was the once and for all. This was Jesus communicating to us how much he loves us. And something crazy happens. Verse 52. For those zombie fans out there, here you go. They weren't zombies, of course, but they came out of the tombs. Verse 52, and the tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, that didn't mean they were taking a nap, that means they were dead, were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Ezekiel 37 prophesied that speak life to the dry bones. You see this whole picture in Ezekiel 37 of these dry bones. And he speaks and God's give flesh and to the bone and sinew and made them into 
an army. See, Jesus secured the hope of our future resurrection here, and he's proving his power to do so the first moment it happened. He didn't even come out of the graveyard. We're not even talking about the resurrection yet. This is just, it is finished. Jesus is still hanging on the cross. But men who were the saints that were believing in Jesus, they come out of the tombs and they go into the city. Could you imagine like your great uncle, like somebody just showing up at your house and be like, hey, Jesus is for real. Do you think you'd believe it? Be like, yes, sir. What do I need to do? I'll take a knee right now. Like, um, but this is exactly what's going on here. They go and testify to the goodness of God. See, resurrection is the promise of our gospel. And Jesus shows his power of resurrection right here. And it's not in, in, in verse 54. It says, when the centurions, the men, the soldiers, not Jewish people, the Gentile soldiers, just sitting there watching on guard duty. It says, when the centurions and those who had been with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake... And what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. This man saw it. Changed. He witnessed it. He's still hanging on the cross. This is before the resurrection that did happen. But he was like this, this. This is not people, I don't, I mean, maybe he'd heard Jesus speak, but he was sitting there doing a job and he witnessed it and said, surely this is the son of God. Communion, um, we, we do about every four weeks here at Reach. Um, partly because I think sometimes we can do the things of God at such a regular pace that we just ignore what it really is, and we just do it. You know, it's kind of what I did growing up. is like, oh, yeah, here's this thing that we do in church. And so once a month, we, are, we do it because we're called to do it. We're called to remember what he's done for us because we are a people forget. We need to be reminded. And as we read through this, this is what... This is where we get to this. See, the danger about trying to understand how much God loves us is that sometimes we get part of it right. And we're like, yes, he did all of these things for me. But then we spend the rest of the time trying to pay him back for this free gift that he gave us. And, and, and just in case you're new here and you're like, man, we're, you know, so we don't have to do anything. Yes. The gospel changes you. You cannot have a legitimate encounter with the gospel and stay the same. You cannot stay in your sin willingly calling it good. You cannot. Now, will you sin? Yes. I have not met anybody that has been freed from the mortal toil that we are in so if, if, if there's hope that like, oh, knowing Jesus is going to make me be perfect, it will change you and you'll be shaped into his likeness. And as you progress, you should be coming more like him. But don't get discouraged when sin hits you in the face. Get discouraged when you stop responding to the grace and mercy that he offers us 
continually. Hebrews 10, the next chapter after what we just wrote, starting in verse 19. says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There is no other part of the gospel that should wreck us. His teachings are great, but his teachings don't mean a whole lot. Paul said that if there was no resurrection, there's no hope. If Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, if Jesus didn't do the things that we proclaim here as a church, then it's of no value to us. And so if you want to know how much God loves you, read this story over and over again until you can see yourself as Barabbas being set free from what you deserved and then learn to live there. Learn to hear the voice of God that said that you're my beloved, my chosen. Some of us need to hear that in this room. Some of us are struggling right now so horribly because you're aware of who you really are. And you're afraid that that this wasn't enough to cover you. Let me just tell you. If this isn't enough to cover you, the sacrifice of Jesus, nothing will. But there is no person out of reach. There's nothing that you've done. And he wants to free you from the shame that's binding you from experiencing his grace and joy right now. That only comes through the faith of trusting in the finished work of Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to invite our worship team back up. Um, we're going to go back into another song. Uh, before before you take these, Paul says to, you know, basically judge your heart, like confess. You know how revival, almost all like legit revivals, I would say all legit revivals come with a heart of repentance. You want to experience his love and his joy and his peace. It will only come through letting it out and saying, God, it's not a shocker. Let me just tell you, whatever you say verbally or in your head, confessing to God, he isn't going to be like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know you did that. I can't, you know, you can't get in. He's going to look at you with a loving, adoring face and say, I've waited so long for you to say that. Give it to me. Give it to me so that we together can help you walk in freedom. And I believe that today, not only the potential of maybe first and foremost saying, I want to serve and worship Jesus, 
This is the beginning of it. This is the foundation of our gospel that he did what we couldn't. And he offers us redemption through his sacrifice. And he invites us to follow. But the saddest part isn't necessarily people outside of the gospel coming in because there's like celebration there. The saddest part is that some of us in this room who know and love Jesus are trapped because a lie has told us that he isn't that fond of you. And you feel like maybe I maybe I've since I've been on the team, I've did something that's going to get me off the team. And I just encourage you this morning. Confess. Just tell him what he already knows and just invite him into the mess. Freedom comes through him alone. You cannot control your behaviors. Like, and I did this for a long time and I grew up in church and I still have this DNA in me that's like behavior modification. Let's just not do bad things and do good things. Which I think we need to do, okay? But like doing the good things doesn't keep us from the bad things. We need to live in the grace of God, understand how much he loves us, and then out of that love for us, he'll begin to change us into the men and women that he's made us to be. That's where the freedom comes of knowing, trusting him. Finding the verses that speak the truth about who you are and entering into the presence. He removed the curtain that separated you from the presence and has invited you in. Let's pray. Father, I don't know what wrestling is going on. I don't know what arguments are happening inside of people's heads right now. Of going, I I know you did these things for others, but... I can't believe that you did them for me. And Lord, I pray that you would overcome that. Lord, sometimes desperation and suffering drives us to the heart of God. Because we're, we're done play acting. We're done pretending. We're done hiding and covering. And we finally got to this place of being honest and transparent. And finally ready to say, God, I'm yours. Change me. Lord, I just just speak that that you would hover, your Holy Spirit would just hover over us right now. That the power of that same Holy Spirit would begin to well up inside of us. And right now we would hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit calling us and draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Lord, I pray that you would overcome our obstacles. Lord, I pray that as even we're taking communion, Lord, that you would break things in us. Lord, where the enemy has bound us, Lord, I speak freedom. Not freedom because of their change, but freedom because of your sacrifice. Lord, bring life this morning. We welcome the transformation and the peace that comes with surrender. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.